Hello, this is A Slice of Orange. I'm Jody Balma, your host, and this is part two of our three-part series on the statewide ballot measures for the general election. Today, we're covering Proposition 16, Proposition 19, Proposition 21, and Proposition 25. Uh, the League of Women Voters of North Orange County specializes in offering voter education, so I encourage you to watch the candidate forums for local offices to get to know your ballot. The Slice of Orange YouTube channel, we've got videos that are going to cover each of these propositions. We're rolling them out this month. And this podcast and the League of Women Voters of North Orange County have a student video contest. So encourage students to make their own videos offering non-biased information about one of these propositions. Uh, they can learn how to research the ballot propositions and hopefully share this knowledge far and wide in the state. Um, so you can learn more about that contest on our social media pages or the league's website, and you can find it on hashtag KnowYourBallotOC. So as always, the Legislative Analyst Office and the Ballotpedia are my first stop to learn about ballot measures, but uh, let's talk a little bit about what I'm looking for when I'm analyzing a ballot measure and what you should be looking for. First, who's paying? Um, initiatives are big money, so who's paying often tells you a lot. Um, the first thing I'd do with a million dollars is not sponsor a ballot measure. So when companies are willing to spend millions, when individuals are putting millions of dollars into these ballot measures, I always am a little suspicious. Um, there are do-gooders out there, um, but there also might be an ulterior motive, and it's worth it to consider whether that's in play. Um, second, I ask, should this be on the ballot? Would it be better for the legislature to deal with this? Now, sometimes there's no choice because some, once something's passed an initiative, it can only be changed with another initiative. But often we have no business legislating at the ballot box, um, especially budgeting items. Uh, and for that reason alone, I often vote against propositions. Uh, third, I want to know who supports it and why. Uh, a close fourth is who opposes it and why for the exact same reasons. Um, why, why are people spending their time and energy and money um, in support of this or opposing it? And often the folks who are uh, affected by it are going to spend a whole lot more time uh, looking at the details and the fine print in these initiatives. And that's what I'm looking for. Um, is reasons that uh, we should or shouldn't support these ballot measures. Um, finally, I, I look to my journalists, um, investigative journalists, editorial boards, news articles, podcasts. Um, wow, uh, there are a lot of folks out there doing hard work investigating and researching these. And almost always, they're going to offer more depth than a 30-second ad being paid for by the very people who benefit. So um, turn to and support your uh, journalist friends on this and get more information. So how do these even get on the ballot? You've probably encountered the proposition industrial complex that exists in this state. It is big money. Uh, you will see it on the ground with those clipboard people who get paid to stand out in front of stores or on college campuses to gather signatures back in the good old days when we could stand out and bother people. <laughs> uh, depending on how tough it is to convince voters, you can get paid a dollar or $3, $5 a signature. Uh, it really is uh, the supply and demand effort, depending on how much money there is to collect and how hard it is to get people to sign those clipboards. Um, 
There was a recall effort a few years back that was very well funded and was paying over $10 a signature, which probably was why those clipboard folks were so aggressive in trying to get you to can, uh, sign their uh, petitions. So the number of signatures you need is based on a percentage of voter turnout in the last election. So this round, we're looking at between 600,000 and 900,000 signatures, depending on if it's a simple law or actually amends the Constitution. Uh, but they need to gather a lot more to ensure the signatures are valid because some people sign those clipboards and don't write their actual name. Um, so it costs a few million dollars just to qualify for the ballot before a single dollar is spent on ads. And most of the money is spent on ads. Um, why? Why does somebody or some organization want something to become a law so badly that they're willing to spend millions? Good question. Uh, and one that voters should always ask themselves, who benefits? Why isn't this just a regular law? It's usually far easier and cheaper to lobby the legislators and pass a law through the regular legislative process. But sometimes it can't be. If the original law was an initiative, it has to go back on the ballot to be revised. If it's a bond measure, the legislature has to get voter approval before borrowing millions or billions with our credit card. Uh, if it's a constitutional amendment, there are reasons that these measures have to be on the ballot, but not always. So first ask who benefits and why do they want to spend millions of dollars for your vote? The measures we're talking about today have to be on the ballot because they change a previous initiative or with Prop 25, it's a referendum, which means the legislature passed the law and this is an effort to have voters veto or overrule what they did. Um, so let's get started with our four ballot measures of the day. Uh, Prop 16, affirmative action. Uh, which would repeal a previous proposition uh, back in 1996. California voters banned the use of affirmative action um, with Proposition 209. So uh, if you remember, Ward Connolly was behind this and took his show on the road and got it passed in a few other states. There have been a couple efforts to repeal it that have failed, not gotten out of the legislature. Assemblywoman Shirley Weber successfully got it through the legislature and it's on the ballot this year, so the voters will get to decide. If Prop 16 passes, it would simply repeal Proposition 209 and race would be a consideration, again, in college admission, employment, and contracts. Um, it doesn't supersede federal law, so there's laws in our nation that regarding affirmative action that would still be in place. There's not going to be quotas for jobs or admission, but race can be used as a consideration. And when it comes to something like college admissions, it's one of many factors considered. Um, when it comes to spending on Prop 16, there's not a ton of it on either side. The proponents have more than those who oppose it at this point, with about half the money supporting this effort coming from a single person, uh, a woman named Quinn Delaney. She's out of the Bay Area and works on a lot of social justice movements and put up about half the $3 million that they currently have to support the effort. Um, it's interesting if you look at uh, some of the arguments against it in past measures of why it didn't make it. On the ballot, um, 2014 is the most recent uh, attempt to repeal Proposition 209. Um, and the uh, and the opposition in the legislature, it was parents of Asian students who expressed concern that the new admission rules would unfairly penalize their children as students applying to highly selective universities in the state. Um, I, I don't know if that'll be a, a campaign tactic or not. If you look at polling data, that doesn't bear out. Um, Asian Americans in California tend to support affirmative action and don't see it as a big part of the opposition, but 
as election day gets closer, it may be a tactic used in the campaign against it. Um, former United States Representative Tom Campbell, a Republican, uh, definitely was floating that as a potential argument. I, I don't know if it'll appear in uh, campaign ads, but he basically um, is, is trying to pit one uh, race against the other, saying that, uh, you know, basically it's a zero-sum game, that if more spaces are to be made for the underrepresented, they must come from the overrepresented, uh, and then quotes that Asian Americans are 15.3% of Californians, let yet 40% of uh, University of California enrollees, and these numbers are why bringing the issue forward now would inevitably divide Californians racially, um, with Latino Americans and African Americans on one side and Asian Americans on the other side. Um, again, that's Tom Campbell's quote. I don't know um, if we'll see that being used in campaigns, campaign ads. It's not prominent on uh, the No on Six, uh, uh, the No on Sixteen website, but um, things change as polling gets closer. Uh, Varsha Sarveshwar, the president of the University of California Student Association, combats that, um, basically saying that colleges consider whether you're from the suburbs, a city, or a rural area. They can consider what high school you went to. They can consider your family's economic background. They can look at virtually everything about you but not race. It makes no sense um, that schools can't consider something that's so core to our lived experience. So you can see both sides um, and, and arguments about whether or not it should be used um, there's other factors, not just college admission, but also, you know, contracts and employment, um, where, where you could see uh, the campaigns talking about that. Um, given our current uh, cultural climate, the discussions of anti-racism beyond not just non-racist, but actively anti-racist, I think a lot of people will be looking at uh, Proposition 16 through that lens. Uh, again, uh, it's something to look at, uh, and voters should make their own uh, decisions on whether or not to support um, any of these ballot measures. Um, so Prop 19, speaking of journalists, uh, Prop 19 was actually inspired by a 2018 Los Angeles Times article by Liam Dillon and Ben Poston. Uh, they wrote about uh, Malibu uh, and celebrity rental properties. So uh, the article was about uh, Jeff and Bo Bridges Malibu house uh, because it's inherited from their parents and they have their own homes already. They rent it out and because it's Malibu. They get upwards of $16,000 a month and because their parents bought the place back in the 1950s and Prop 13 keeps property taxes low. The annual property tax bill on this place is less than $6,000 um, on a property that's worth over $7 million. For those of you who pay more than $6,000 in property tax, um, yeah, that's how Prop 13 works. Um, there was a lot of outrage, and it turns out that the Bridges are not alone in renting out a family home that's worth a ton of money, which is why the fiscal impact of this proposition uh, predicts that it would bring in millions of dollars a year in increased property tax, um, because Prop 19 would change that. Uh, unless one of the kids lived in the house as a primary residence, an inherited home would be reassessed at the market value for tax purposes. So if, you know, if you've got a family home and the kids are living there as the primary residence, this would not affect that at all. You'd still keep the lowered tax um, rate based on the purchase price under Prop 13. But um, this is also more than just, you know, punishing wealthy orphans. <laughs> 
Um, this would also change Prop 90, which was passed in 1988, uh, that allowed seniors 55 and older to transfer their Prop 13 property tax protection if they moved within their own county or to one of the 10 counties that allowed those transfers. So if you're starting to see the cascading effect that Prop 13 leads to Prop 90, that leads to Prop 19, all of these changes have to occur on the ballot because originally the property tax law was encoded in the ballot, in in a ballot um, measure. So Prop 19 would take that protection in Prop 90 and extend it statewide. So the idea behind Prop 90 was that you wanted to allow seniors to downsize or move in retirement without penalizing them with a hefty tax bill. Because before this, seniors would be staying in their family homes to keep the lower property tax protection of Prop 13. Uh, Laws have consequences and behavior. People make decisions based on fiscal reality. So Prop 90 incentivized seniors to downsize and open up more family homes on the market without construction. This Prop 19 on the ballot would extend that statewide, which ideally would make more family homes on the market to younger families and allow seniors to move into homes that better fit their needs. Um, It also allows that transfer to Um, instead of just once, happen three times. Um, So currently, you have a single transfer in place where seniors can transfer Prop 13 protection um, to the new residents. As seniors are living longer and needs uh, in early to late retirement change, more moves are possible under Prop 19. Um, The additional money from the inherited property taxes would specifically fund wildfire and county governments, um, since we're seeing the devastating effect of wildfires increase year after year. Uh, That might also uh, incentivize folks to vote for Prop 19 to have more money in the fund for wildfires. Um, The folks who are supporting this really um, are realtors. They're funding the entire campaign fund with about $19 million dollars. Um, since downsizing means seniors would be selling their family homes and buying new ones, it makes sense that realtors would support this. doesn't seem to be any hidden prizes for realtors, just the straightforward economic reality that the more homes that are bought and sold, the more commissions realtors earn. Uh, since it's estimated to bring in tens to hundreds of billions of dollars a year in property tax revenues that are not being currently collected, in addition to those that Uh, would be collected because of more sales as people move and take that property tax protection with them. Um, There would be a lot more uh, commissions for realtors and more money uh, for wildfires and county governments as a result. Um, There's almost no money being spent on the other side, so I imagine a lot of voters are going to see this and um, support it. Uh, it, You know, obviously there are reasons that you might Uh, object to it based on what the bill does, but it's a pretty straightforward uh, measure on the ballot uh, to uh, change some things about that senior tax protection. Um, That's not true of our next housing measure that has a lot of money on both sides being spent and ads that are trying to convince you one way or another. Uh, Prop 21 on local rent control. So... If this sounds familiar, there's a reason. It's a do-over of Prop 10 that failed in 2018, but it's got a few changes that the supporters think will convince voters to support it this time. 
um, which often happens. Kind of you take a ballot measure and you fix what you think was the poison pill or the reason that voters didn't like it. There's some polling involved. There's some focus groups involved and you make those changes and see if you can pass it again. So here we go. Um, in 1995, uh, the Costa-Hawkins Rental Housing Act passed in California, which prohibited local governments from enacting rent control measures in California. So Prop 21 would repeal that um, and allow local governments to consider and enact local rent control. It doesn't actually enact rent control. It just allows it to be passed if your local government, city or county, passes such a measure. Um, a couple changes. The properties now have to be over 15 years old and the owners have to own more than two properties. Um, the courts have established that rent control has to provide a fair rate of return in terms of profit. So we're not talking about bankrupting landlords, but clearly uh, the, the, the property market is profitable uh, and landlords like being able to uh, rent uh, without rent control. So there's $16 million being spent on either side. Uh, so expect a lot of scare tactics with arguments of disaster and ruin on both sides of the argument. Um, remember, Prop 21 doesn't actually enact local rent control. It just removes the law prohibiting it from being considered. Um, and there are important considerations. Laws often change behavior. People are motivated based on outcomes and when those outcomes change, so does the behavior. So the Legislative Analyst Office actually discusses some of those potential economic fallout of local rent control measures, um, which local governments would have to consider. Now, again, this is what they're predicting the local governments would consider before passing rent control in their local entities. Um, about whether landlords would sell their property if they own three or four properties. So if the Prop 21 says that to have rent control on your property, you have to own more than two properties, do people sell the third or fourth property to get under that magic number three? Um, would the value of the property decline as the rent is capped? Renters might move less often, um, which has a value. So there's pros and cons. Um, would there be less property tax income to the government as a rent result of lower rental income? Um, when talking to people who spend um, money on rent, they have less money for disposable goods, which are often, um, you know, have sales tax. So uh, there's a there's a trade-off there that um, most people who are renting, uh, you know, don't have a huge amount of uh, investment portfolio. And so most of the disposable income is going to uh, things that are taxed, uh, sales tax uh, um, and, and rental properties that give property tax. So um, again, the money is evenly matched on this one, 16 million on either side. Uh, there'll be a lot of debate on uh, the, 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 you know, pros and cons of local rent control. Um, and some states have uh, rent control, others don't. Um, some areas in California have it. So um, I imagine 16 million on either side where we're going to see a lot of, uh, of ads. And then if Prop 21 passes, that fight will move to the local governments that may or may not be considering enacting rent control. So this doesn't actually enact the rent control. It just allows it to be legislated. And some communities are definitely going to be against that. And some would probably uh, be considering that fairly cert 
uh, certainly after Prop 21 passes. So, Last uh, proposition for the day on this show, part two of three, um, we're splitting up the 12 propositions into uh, four each on three shows. So our last proposition for part two is Proposition 25, which would end cash bail. This is a referendum measure, which means the legislature passed this into law, and before it goes into effect, we, the voters, have a chance to veto it because people gathered signatures to put it on the ballot for that purpose. So what the law says is that cash bail would end in California and people accused of crimes would be released or not based on the assessed risk of crime or not appearing in court. So unless they're found guilty of the crime and then they'd be sentenced to jail or prison. This is pre-trial um, when bail is available. So this is replacing cash bail with a risk assessment system that the legislature set up. So right now, People are released on their own recognizance or their ability to post bail, often through agents. It's a big business in the state, which is why the bail companies put this on the ballot to veto what the legislature did and are spending four times as much as the supporters of this measure to try to defeat it. Um, most uh, folks who are arrested for misdemeanors would be released from jail, except for domestic violence or those who failed to appear in the past. When you're considering felonies, those would be the risk assessment system and conditions would apply given the severity of the crime. Um, suspects would be assessed as low risk, medium risk, or high risk. Suspects deemed as having a low risk of failing to appear in court or a low risk to public safety would be released from jail uh, and, and then have to appear in court for their trial. Those deemed a high risk would remain in jail with a chance to argue for their release before a judge. Uh, those deemed a medium risk could be released or detained depending on the local court's rules, but it would not be determined by the ability to post bail. So um, there's a cost to keeping somebody innocent in jail awaiting trial, and uh, given the high cost of jail in our state, that's a consideration. Um, this is a fairly straightforward decision for the voter. Um, there's, there's not a lot of hidden things, even as there's lots of money being spent. So um, California legislature passed this law, ending cash bail, establishing a assessed risk measure, because there was a 2017 report that was ordered by the California Supreme Court Chief Justice, and that report found that cash bail exacerbates socioeconomic disparities and racial bias. Um, you know, big surprise that uh, cash bail means that wealthy people get bail and the, the those who can't afford it and don't have good credit uh, are, are likely to spend time before trial in jail. And as um, the, the length of time for a court date is extended, um, that has real consequences for people's ability to keep their jobs and to provide for their family. And so the poverty exacerbates that. So the people behind Prop 25, uh, the people who gathered signatures to veto this law, um, what we call a referendum, and the voters are then asked to either support the law by voting yes, or if you are against it, you vote no. Um, it, it's kind of interesting to look at some of the editorial boards, um, both the Bakersfield Californian and the Orange County Register editorial boards support the effort to end cash bail, um, you know, which is not necessarily uh, to boards that you think of as, you know, uh, 
they're, they're fairly conservative. You don't think of them as, you know, liberal, soft on crime folks. Um, so the Bakersfield, California editorial board said uh, the rationale was that a cash bail system punishes poor people charged with nonviolent or minor crimes who can't afford to pay bail, while more wealthy people charged with more serious violent crimes can go free awaiting trial simply because they can afford to pay the bail. Allowing judges to assess defendants' risks rather than the size of their wallet seems more equitable. They argue that we should trust and verify, uh, trust that the judges that we elected will act in an honorable, fair manner in assessing defendants' risks, but verify that they're doing so. That's absolutely possible. The Orange County Register editorial board uh, supports uh, the effort to end cash bail, and they say... The problem with the current system is that people who are innocent can suffer life-destroying consequences if they are arrested and eligible for bail but lack the financial resources to pay thousands of dollars for a bail bond. While locked up for months before a trial, people can lose their jobs, fall behind on payments for housing, and plunge into an even deeper financial hole. Those who are able to borrow money for a bail bond can suffer ongoing harm from the added debt burden. So poverty is not a crime, but for people who are arrested and can't afford bail, the Orange County Register says uh, they are punished as if they were. So um, that's uh, where we're at. The folks who are uh, opposed to Prop 25 uh, are almost all the bails bond uh, and financial institutions that benefit. Um, but again, it's up to the voters to decide whether or not they want to support uh, ending cash bail or they want to keep that in uh, place. So those are the four uh, that we're covering today, whether to repeal Prop 209, the property taxes for seniors and inheritance rules, um, that's Prop 19, Prop 21, which allows local rent control measures to be considered, and this one, Prop 25, ending cash bail. Uh, on the next show, we'll cover the last four measures. Uh, if you missed our first show, we covered uh, the stem cell research, uh, Prop 14, voting rights for those on parole, and 17-year-olds, which are Prop 17 and 18, and Prop 24 about consumer personal information. So you can go back to that episode and catch up there. And we've got uh, videos on each of those propositions on the Slice of Orange YouTube channel. So ah, thanks for learning about the propositions with me. This is Jody Balma and A Slice of Orange, a podcast on North Orange County politics covering the statewide ballot measures. See you next time.